Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I am the pastor here. Uh, excited to get into everything today. Um, I, I do have a quick shout out. We're welcoming for the first time uh, a new member in our church, Aria. Uh, I don't know where Angel and Faith are, but it is good to have you guys back. <laughs> The youngest uh, member of our church changes about every two weeks. Uh, <laughs> it's always great to welcome the newest member when they get to arrive back in person. Uh, today is a, is a special day. Today is a special day because, one, I'm not going to be preaching a typical sermon. I don't know if you can even call it a sermon. I probably wouldn't. Uh, I am going to be sharing some stuff with you all that uh, many that I've not shared publicly, uh, some, most of what I'll share today are things I've shared with people that have been curious enough to ask, or leaders that have come on that have asked, what are we signing on to? And, uh, you know, typically we'll call something like today Vision Sunday, where I want to share the heart behind our church. Uh, so if you're new, welcome. You chose a great Sunday to come. Um, and if you're not, my hope from today is that we can walk away and understand why we exist. Uh, I used to get up and preach in Sunset Park all the time as a youth pastor in the streets, in the actual park. Uh, and I'd always start off with something like this, uh, where uh, I don't preach up here and do this to get kudos from God. That's not why I'm doing this. Uh, I do this because I love God and God has completely changed my life and I'm a regular person just like everybody in this room. And that is true today as much as it was 10 to 15 years ago uh, when I would say it to whoever would listen to me. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because there's a reason why Zion started. Uh, what we call Zion is a church plant. For those of you that don't know, it's just a new church that gets started some people, that word is really weird uh, because when we think of church, we typically think of established uh, places or buildings that have been here way longer than we've been alive. Uh, and for some of us, we've been in this world for a while and we've been part of other church plants before being a part of Zion. Uh, but I want to share specifically why Zion exists. So I'm going to read three scriptures I won't refer to them again, but these have been three scriptures that have been kind of guiding lights to our church from the very beginning. And if uh, you're astute enough, you'll hear echoes of them in what I'm going to be sharing today. So the first one I'm going to be reading from is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you can read along in your paper. I believe all three of these scriptures are on your uh, Sunday service sheet. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The next uh, verse is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And Acts chapter 8, 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Why these three verses? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 informs our mission. 
Acts chapter two, verse 42, informs our church values, community discipleship and prayer. And Acts chapter eight, four, informs our strategy of what happened to our church when we were kicked out of the school and how God has called us to be a witnessing community in multiple neighborhoods and places uh, and not shrink back as the writer of Hebrews says when persecution or when hard things happen to the church. So I'm going to share, like I said, some things about, about why and, and where and what and how about us today. Um, and like I said, this is not going to be a typical sermon. I'm not preaching through verses. I'm not uh, exegeting any specific scripture. I'm going to be sharing the heart behind our church. Uh, I, I've been thinking of it this week as kind of the thesis for why church planning and why Zion and what the city needs today. When you, when, if you've never heard of church planning before, then you'll get a little history lesson for a second. Church planning is a term that a lot of people have been using for a couple of decades now, like I said, to start new churches. And church planting in New York City became very popular about a decade and a half ago when New York City began to become very popular uh, to the outside world. And when you look at the church planning trends that have happened in New York City, what you see is the church planting trends, which means where are new churches happening? They are the trends with where gentrification is happening. So if you look at uh, where most new churches are cropping up in today's day and age, they're able to speak to the world that we live in, the modern world that we're in today. You'll see most of those places uh, that are happening, most of those church plants that are, that are going on in all of the neighborhoods where gentrification has also happened. So basically, it's in Manhattan and around Manhattan. Uh, it is as close as you can get to Manhattan and, and the surrounding areas to it. LIC, downtown, Park Slope, Williamsburg, uh, Sobro, I want to throw up saying that, uh, South Bronx. <laughs> uh, you know, all of these, Astoria, all of these places that have, and, and, and Jersey City, all these places that have proximity uh, to the city. And a lot of that is because uh, what has happened is across the U.S. there has been a phenomenon going on that people have been migrating to urban centers. And as people are migrating to urban centers, there are other people from around the U.S. that are answering the call to migrate with them and plant churches. But when somebody wants to go to a new city and start something new, and they're going to be the savior of that city, as many church planters come and say that they're going to do when they come to New York City, what do they do? They look up the fastest growing neighborhoods and the coolest neighborhoods in New York City. And I can tell you the neighborhoods that are not on that list are places like Ozone Park, Staten Island, Bay Ridge, Sunset Park, Bath Beach, Bensonhurst, Diker Heights, all up and down the Belt Parkway, out in the Bronx, in the outer boroughs, those neighborhoods are not on the list. And so when people decide, I wanna start a church and I wanna save the city, they're not gonna do it where we are now. And so where do they go? They go where the money is and the power is and the theoretical change is. And so for me, as being from this city, what I've found is a lot of people that wanted, especially young people that wanted to go to church, there was this false decision that they had to make. I can 
take the train an hour and a half out to the city or somewhere where I wanna go so I can go to a church that I can invite my friends to that I'm not gonna feel weird or awkward at, but I may not feel at home in. Or I'm going to go to a church in my neighborhood that I grew up, grew up in where there's a lot of people like me that I will feel at home at, but I'll most likely never invite my friend to because it's weird and outdated. And many people in our city, many natives, many immigrants have been feeling this pressure of basically pick my poison of where I'm going to go. And so when I think about where Zion wants to be and where we wanted to plant, one of the things I've been most excited about is about planting where no other planters want to go. Places that are as far away from Manhattan, but still in New York City as possible. <laughs> right, where there are not church planters clamoring to come in because they have cool names and their neighborhoods have made it to the New York Times cool neighborhood list in the recent year or two. When I think of why and where Zion should be, where we want to plant, where we want to grow, the neighborhoods that we wanna be in, I think of places all up and down the Belt Parkway. Why? Because the Belt Parkway is as far away from Manhattan you can get, but as still as New York City as you'll get. Right? These, these are the places like that I just named. This is Brooklyn and Queens. I think of Staten Island because, let's face it, who thinks like I can't wait to move to Staten Island from anywhere in the world, <laughs> except for my wife back there raising her hands. <laughs> I think of places in the Bronx where all the memes about the Bronx just always have me cracking up because the Bronx is crazy. When people think I want to go plant in New York City, they don't think about the places far away in the Bronx where nobody goes unless you were, you were born there. And so when I think of us, when I think of the where for Zion, I think not center city, but in the city. I think of places that are far from, you know, if you, if you grew up in New York, the city is Manhattan. I remember I lived in Ohio for a year and they would always get mad at me because I talk about the city. And then one person told me, he's like, Justin, you know, there's more than one city in the world. And I was like, there's really only one city in the world. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> when I say the city, you know what city I'm talking about. I also had like 30 shirts that said Brooklyn on it. <laughs> so pretty much they all knew where I was from and what I was talking about. I remember one pastor came up to me and was like, Does, there was only two guys from Brooklyn in our church and we both had a lot of Brooklyn shirts in our wardrobe. He was like, serious question, Justin, is everybody that's from Brooklyn this excited about being from Brooklyn? And I said, yes. We are all this excited about being from Brooklyn. Uh, when I was growing up, being from Brooklyn meant that you don't fight with, with me from the outside. Now being from Brooklyn uh, has a bit of a different connotation uh, that I buck against, but I'm like, you didn't grow up in Brooklyn. When I <laughs> and so that's why we chose what our, our, the first location that we had in IS-30 was where I graduated eighth grade. 
right? I, it, it was half of an apartment building up that block on 70th Street. But this is, this is our home. This is the place that we grew up. This is where we think about starting a church as a place for our neighbor, as a place for the people that haven't been for a long time because there hasn't been something that has been for them when there's been new churches cropping up all over the city, but for some reason, not here. When I think about what type of church we want to be, this has been a roller coaster because if you would have asked me right in the beginning, a lot of people asked me uh, when they first started coming to the church, I'm talking about four and a half years ago now, do you want to be a mega church? And that question was asked a lot of times uh, because of all the things that come with it, of what it means to be a mega church. There's a lot of things that you have to do to become a mega church. And by a megachurch, a megachurch in New York City is probably 1,000. A megachurch anywhere else in the, in the U.S. is 10,000 or above. But my answer was no. I don't want to be a megachurch. When I think of what type of church we want to be, I want to be a small church. And when I say church, I mean group of people. I'm not talking about building or anything like that. But when we first started, my understanding of like, we're not going to be a mega church is we're going to grow to 400 and we're going to cap it at 400. And after that, we're going to try to plant more, uh, more churches, more congregations. Uh, my, my recently in the last year and a half that has been downsized significantly, because if you were here uh, from the beginning, you realize that after we grew over 120 people, which happened in about a year, um, something changed about our church. There started to be deep cracks in community. We lost a lot of the depth that was uh, really beautiful about the beginning of our church. And then we grew to 200, and then we grew to 250. I remember our third Easter. We had 400 people at our third Easter. It was a wild experience to see that. And I realized after getting to that point, and then everything that we went through after that with losing our space, going through house church, that 400 was actually not the right number. That what we wanted was really a small church because when the Bible talks about church, it talks about family. And so these, these kind of comparisons came up of, of what many people think about when they think about church and what we want to be. So I think of attenders versus family, right? Many times in America, when we talk about church, we talk about attending church once or twice a month. We think about attending church at Easter or Christmas or the, whatever those holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, we'll, we'll go for those times. When we think about church, we think about attending church. We think about going to a location, but what we want to see church truly become is a family. This is what the scripture talks about. That if one person is missing or one person is not walking and what God has called them to be, that it hurts and affects the entire body. Because we are so closely and tightly knit with Jesus as the head of the body and the head of the church. That we can't see church, Zion, we can't see church as a place that we attend once a week. We have to see it as a family that we become a part of. 
This is what church is truly like. And I want family, all those connotations that come when we talk about family have to come to our mind. We fight with our family. We love our family. We hang out with our family. We spend the holidays with our family. We talk with our family during the week. If we have healthy families, that is. Now, if we have dysfunctional families, and many of us have, been, have dysfunctional families and have been a part of a dysfunctional church, what do you want to do? You want to get away from them as far as possible. You cut them off. You set up boundaries. You set up lines so that you can protect yourself. What I want us to do is if, if we are truly family, then we will know if we're dysfunctional because people will run as far as possible. And I love that. I want to see that. But if we are healthy, what will happen? We will grow in deep love and care for one another. And we will be the beautiful image of what God has called his church to be. And so that's why I think church should be family because if it's dysfunctional and unhealthy, it will die and people will run. But when it's attenders, it can be dysfunctional and unhealthy, but no one will ever know. Only the small center knows. And so you can have thousands of people coming to an unhealthy, dead tree because the roots are wrong. But if the root is good, then the more people that become family, the healthier, the more loving, the more caring, the more like a body, like a church we're supposed to be. So we shouldn't see ourselves as an attender. We should see ourselves as a family member. And that should convict us in certain ways about how we act and how we treat Sunday service, how we treat one another and how we know one another, a lack thereof of knowing one another. I think of consuming church versus missional church. In America, we are so used to consuming everything. We consume Netflix. We consume on social media. We consume the news cycle. We consume on Christmas. We consume on Valentine's Day. We consume on Halloween, right? Our, our life cycle is very much like our church cycle. We go on holidays. We enjoy it. We take in the content. We spit out what we don't like. We, we take with us what we do, and then we keep on moving our own life singular, individualistically, focused. But that is not how church is supposed to be. When I think of what church is, it is missional. That means we are together, have a singular goal. We are unified, which scripture says a unified church is the only church that can defend against the wiles of the enemy, that can defend against every plan that Satan has against us, that it will actually put fear in the enemy when the church stands unified together in Philippians. And so when I think of a church, it is not someone that consumes, but it is a people that participates in the mission together. We are all in this together. We don't sit to enjoy the sermon, to enjoy the kids' ministry, to enjoy the online content. We go together on mission. I think of perfectionism versus discipleship, right? In, in today's day and age, we think of, you know, in the first couple of years of our church, it was always very funny because people would always say like, oh, we thought you had it all together until I volunteered my first week and realized like this place is getting set up by the skin of its teeth every single Sunday. Uh, we have been a, a lot more honest about that lately, and that's intentional, right? When I think of perfectionism, it's the show has to be produced well every week, we need to have our best preacher. We need to have our best singer. We need to have our best welcomer. We need to have our best usher. We need to have our best connect person, right? The best of the best and no one else. And that's it. It never leaves room for growth, for discipleship. 
and never leaves room for failure, which is the greatest area of growth that people can learn from when we don't do things at 100%. And so now what do we see as our team? We see that I preach, if you're lucky, once a month, maybe twice a month, depending Right? We have different worship leaders singing every week. We have different people rotating in and out of all the different serving opportunities. We have a lot of different people doing a lot of different things, and that is intentional. Because this is no longer about putting on the best show every Sunday that we can to fill the most seats. It is about discipleship. It is about growth. And when people are discipled well, they are trained well, they are equipped well to do what? And it, it says in the scriptures in Ephesians, to do the work of the ministry. And so all of us being equipped, whether that equipping your talent is preaching, singing, greeting, hosting, whatever that is, having people over, inviting people into your life, reading scripture with people, whatever that is, encouraging someone, praying for somebody, whatever that is, growing into it. So that as we are missional as a church, as we fulfill this goal, as we go and plant into other areas, that we have the capacity to do it so that we have preachers at every place, we have worship leaders at every place, we have equipped, trained ministry people that are going in, that are building community, that are teaching people to obey the scriptures and Jesus everywhere that we go so that we don't have to do a screen, so that we don't have to play a track, because that's all about the show. But what we want is true discipleship. We don't want big. We want small. We don't want something that is centered, that is around one preacher, one worship leader, one location. We want something that is spread. Many preachers, many worship leaders, many locations, many ministers, many Bible studies, many places, many people participating and joining in the work of the ministry. That is what we are trying to create here. That is what we believe God has called our church to do. Now, the big thing is why? Why, do that? why is it important to do it this way? There's a lot of reasons why, but instead of giving you the reasons, I just wanna share a couple of stories. Now, I asked everybody if I can share this, this story beforehand. Um, and so I wanted to share a couple of stories of people in our church. When I think of why, why pastoring is a terrible job. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows that, but if you look at secular people do studies and they look at like the 10 worst jobs in America and pastoring is always on there because the rate of burnout the rate of emotional stress, the rate of the, the amount of anxiety that comes with the job is awful. And so I need a deep why, just to be honest on why I do this. It's important. But I think it's important for us to understand why in the stories of our neighbors, of the people sitting next to us right now. One person I think of is Johnny. Many of you know Johnny. He's helping lead in the Staten Island Church. I was walking around with his youngest daughter today, Luna. Uh, they have three beautiful daughters, Susanna, Haley, and Luna, and Johnny. Uh, Jenny is our kids director, or was our kids director in Brooklyn, now the kids director in Staten Island. I think of Johnny because Johnny has an experience that many people 
in our city have had, which is part of a place that calls itself a church, but most likely better defined as a cult. Johnny was a part of a church for 10 years, uh, and I, I'll never forget the story when he told me that the day he decided to leave the church, finally, was because his quote-unquote pastor uh, told him when, when he had to come like some ridiculous time in the morning and leave like very late in the afternoon, something like 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., very long time to set up and to break down. Johnny had two very young girls at the time. This is, I think, six years ago. And when he said, well, if I do that to the pastor, then I can't bring my family to church anymore. And again, the quote-unquote pastor, I hate calling him one because I don't think he is, told him, leave your kids and your family at home. The work you need to do, which was literally doing sound and putting on the light show on Sunday, is more important. You can bring the word home to your family later in the week. And that was it for him. He finally left. When he told the pastor he was going to leave, that man showed up in his house, rang his doorbell, and threatened to fight him in front of his family. When he realized that Johnny and his family were actually going to leave, he sent out a text to the entire church and told them they were no longer able to talk to Johnny and Jenny and the girls anymore. And overnight, 10 years of friendship he lost. All of those people stopped talking to him. That is a cult. And that is the experience, maybe not to that degree, but of many people in our church that we've come out of very dysfunctional, cult-like churches where they were islands unto themselves. It was never a kingdom work. It was always about what you can do for us. It was about using. It was not about family. It was not about health. It was about the show going on at whatever expense. And when you look behind the car of a cult, you see a lot of dead bodies. And those are the people that have been kicked off and run over in the process of being created. Because what was more important was the experience rather than the people, where in Scripture, the people are more important than everything. And so seeing Johnny, I remember, I, I didn't say I'd share this, so hopefully Johnny don't get mad at me. About six months into Johnny coming to the church, I text him a prophetic word I got for him. And I told him that I felt like the Lord was sharing with me that his time of ministry wasn't over and that God had ministry planned for him. And he texts back that he wanted to talk. And if you know Johnny and his story, that meant that he wanted to leave the church. And the reason why he wanted to leave the church is because the prophetic gift was abused so many times to get him to do what other people wanted. And so many people in our church have experienced that. And he said, Justin, I don't know if I could stay anymore. And I was like, listen, I stand behind what I said. I really believe God still wants to use you. It, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow then. Let's see what that process looks like. And so every time Johnny preaches a sermon, know that that is a miracle before your eyes of healing of what God has done. And that's a, that story is expressed. And so many other people in our church of the healing that you have experienced, that God has given you. Because when you're a part of a healthy environment, healing takes place. And the promise of healing in Scripture over and over and over again will happen. 
I think of Adelina, who had a praying mom, like many people in this church. But the first time she went to church, she was given the dress code of church and told what she couldn't wear and could wear. So anybody that knows Adelina knows that the rules as a teenager didn't work well for her. She wore a complete head-to-toe sari to her Pentecostal storefront church. <laughs> now, if you've never grown up in New York City, you know if you show up in the wrong attire, that not only brings shame to your family, but everybody is going to look at you sideways if they don't tell you to change your outfit on the way in. There's no, nothing like that in Scripture. This is not legalism. This is the gospel. This is a place where we welcome everybody to come as they are, and we allow the Holy Spirit to transform their lives. We don't do it with our words and our rules. And so when she went up to the front, as she was told at the end, and the preacher tried to push her down, and she started fighting with him so that he couldn't push her down, she never went to church again after that. And that has been the experience of so many New Yorkers, time and time again, that the place that we walked into was church many times a name, but the experience was not church from Scripture. It was a place of legalism and of deep religion, but not relationship. The gospel was changed. And so years later, as an adult, Adelina, dating her now fiancé, Aaron, we could celebrate that. <laughs> Came to church because Stephanie, her Aaron's brother, invited them to help out. Adelina was running our connect table, helping with all the different aspects of our preview services. Not yet a Christian, but felt loved and welcomed enough to come to church. I would say about a year later, she committed her life to God. And I've seen one of the most amazing transformations I've seen in a person since. And it has been my honor to watch her grow in her walk and to see what God has done in her life. That's why, because I know the church experience can be one of love and can be one of healing when every single person walks in that door. And we can do that here if we just follow the blueprint that God gave us. I think of Jonathan right here. I first met him when he interviewed as a barista at Blend. He walked in with really long hair, a suit, and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I know the cigarettes because he dropped the pack on the way out after his interview was done. <laughs> and Jonathan was a self-proclaimed skeptic hated God and Christians, and would have laughed and scoffed at the thought of ever setting foot in a church. And being a Christian was the farthest thing from his mind he could ever imagine. But he started interacting with people from the church through the coffee shop, first Jeremy, then with me, then with Rachel, and so many people, Joel, David, Adelina, all these people, Alicia, that would come to the coffee shop. Kurt would hang out with him, and he realized there's something different here And God started to work on his heart. I remember even before he was a Christian, he came to me and he said, Justin, I stopped smoking cigarettes. We had dinner one night because God told me to go have dinner with this guy. I thought, I don't want to have dinner with him. <laughs> but I went back, I invited him to dinner, and I walked home that night and realized Jonathan's going to give his life to God one day. And it's probably going to be one day soon. 
I remember in the basement of Blend, when we asked him, me and Rose were praying over him, and we asked him, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? And he said, yes. That was one of the best days of my life. I wrote it in my calendar to always remember the day that Jonathan was born in Jesus, and then baptizing him just a few months after that and welcoming him into the family. To see someone who hated God was a skeptic and hated all the thoughts of what Christians are. Far from God, come to know Jesus, be baptized, and then find a family here. Wound up in my house at least once a week for almost a year <laughs> to talk about Jesus, to talk about Scripture. That's why. I think of Jimenez and Khalil. <laughs> Khalil's finally like my shout out <laughs> this year. I think about Jimenez and Khalil because they were part of these new church plants that were cropping up in the city but couldn't find a home because there weren't church plants that were for them. They were church plants for other people in the city, not for the native, not for the immigrant. So after trying a long time and trying many different churches, there was disillusionment that settled in and then a walking away for a time from church. And when there was a, they heard about Zion, there was skepticism. But when they came, they found family. I remember joking with Jimenez a lot that he would be out of the church within two years. <laughs> but here he is five years later, praise be to God. <laughs> that's why because I have met so many of you that have told me that your story is you hadn't been to church in years and you finally feel welcome to come home to where God has you this is why we do what we do because a healthy church being planted in areas where nobody else is planting is what our city is crying out for and is what our city is longing for. I realized that when I was in college, people kept telling me statistics of young people that were walking away from the church in droves. And I realized that that's exactly what people are walking away from. They're walking away from the church, but they're not walking away from God. All people are longing for is for a church to align with what God has called them to do. And so if churches just align with what God has called them to do, people will stop walking away from the church. Our city, so many books I've seen with the title Babylon on it and New York City as the picture in the front. Sometimes that used to get me angry, but now I get excited because I know where there is a lot of sin. It is ripe for a renewal of the Spirit of God. I am fourth generation New York City on both my mom and my dad's side. I'm Puerto Rican, Italian, Lebanese, and Polish. I'm a beautiful Brooklyn mutt. <laughs> I love this city with my whole heart. When I went away to live in Ohio in a suburb with my backyard was a thousand acre cornfield, God spoke one very clear thing to me, that when I left Ohio, because God sure as knew I was not staying there, <laughs> 
When I left Ohio and I came back to New York City, I was not coming back to my home. I was coming back to my mission field. I was 18 years old when God shared that with me. And what I have seen is a mission field of all the leaders and all of the servers in this church that have said, this is our mission. We have seen 37 baptisms since we started as a church. We have seen countless friends and family created in this church. We have seen multiple generations. One of my favorite things in the very beginning was when people started coming to the church and they started bringing their kids, but they also started bringing their parents and seeing multiple generations coming, serving, and being family here in this family. See, what the city needs is not one church. It needs hundreds more churches that will reach our neighbors for the gospel. Center City is being taken care of very well. But for us, I want to see more churches in places where nobody will go and nobody will plant. And how are we going to do this? We're going to do it through planting small congregations far away from Manhattan with people we have raised up in our church to do the work of the ministry, to live out the values that we have read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, of community, which the scripture says fellowship, of discipleship, which the scripture says the scriptures, and of prayer, that we will walk those things out together and what we will see is the byproduct of those things that we read in the rest of Acts chapter two, of deep unity, of deep generosity, of deep love for one another, and a growing of the church because healthy things grow. That is how. And so being a part of Zion is not attending a Sunday experience. We are a church on a clear mission that Jesus has left for the whole church and that I believe God has given us a grace to do in our city. There are countless stories in our congregation and that is why we do it, so that people can experience and hear God. But I have a questions for you as we do it. I've been really indirect in our church's past because of all the hurt that has happened. Many times, people in our church come from abusive relationships in different places and churches that they've been. So I have not been as direct, but God has been helping me become more direct with our church in particular. And so I'm going to be direct today. And you'll see our announcements have been more direct as of late. The first question I will ask is, as we build, will you help? This is going to take an entire family to do this. This is not going to be one or two people. This is all of us that are part of the mission. All of us that are called to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. As we replant what we're doing here in Brooklyn, will you help? As we plant out a new work in Staten Island, will you help? As the scripture says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Will you step up and be a laborer? 
As we build, will you help? The second question I want to ask is, as we grow, will you give? I think giving is one of the greatest tools of discipleship that God has left for us in the scriptures. Because in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, he doesn't say the master on one hand is the devil and the other master is God. He says the one master is money and the other master is God. Because money is the only thing in this world that can falsely offer everything that God offers us, which is joy, security, a future. Those are the things that God offers us. But everything that money offers us is perishable. Everything that God offers us is imperishable. And so money always sets itself up as a false God in our hearts and in every society from the very beginning to now. So I think if we are missing out on giving, we are missing out on one of God's greatest discipleship tools of our hearts. But also we are missing out on being a part of the mission here. Do you know that giving generosity is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? We see in Romans that it is one of the gifts that God gives to us. Many people only desire to prophesy or to speak in tongues or to see miracles. Very few of us desire to see the gift of generosity in our hearts be extended. Last month was our worst month in giving for over three years. I share that because God has always been faithful. We've always been able to do what we want. But I believe we need to work on our faithfulness as well to God's mission. And so my question is, as we grow, will you give? And my last question is this, as we plant, will you go? The reason why we didn't plant a new congregation in the first three years of our church is because I think this was the hardest question to answer yes to. We grew so deep in community, so deep in friendship, so deep in love and care for one another that we didn't want to leave one another. We couldn't fathom. I had so many conversations with people, but we won't be able to do this after service, hang out. We won't see each other as often. You know, it hurts a lot of times to be on mission, but it is necessary. And so my question is, our, our next stop, we launch next week. We go weekly in Staten Island. That is a celebration. A new congregation, new leadership. God is doing amazing things there. And we have heard people say yes to that call. But as we continue to plant new places, will you say yes? It doesn't stop in Staten Island Church. We are going to plant in other neighborhoods and the call is going to go out as we think about Queens next. The question will be, as we plant, will you go? Will you labor? Will you help do this new work? Whether you live there or you don't live there, will you be a missionary to the people around you and see a gospel work happen in the neighborhoods that we live in, in the neighborhoods that we go to, the neighborhoods that we grew up in, the neighborhoods that we call home? Will you say yes? Because we're tech savvy, you know, I'm not gonna hand out cards, but I actually wanna know, 
if you will say yes to any one of those three questions. Will you serve? Will you give? Will you go? And so what we did was we, we set up a text prompt. If you text on your phone, I'm gonna encourage you, if you are thinking about saying yes or you wanna say yes to one of those questions, maybe you already give or you already serve, thank you. But we can re-up on that commitment now. The text is 97,000, 97,000. If you text Z vision, one word, Z vision, text that one word, Z vision to 97,000, you'll get a prompt back with a link. You click that link, it's a form. It's a very simple form. Your name, your email, your number, and then three check boxes. Will you serve? Will you give? Will you go? And that's a simple question because I would like to know who will say yes to this with us and be on mission together as a church. If you can't, no one will hate you because we're not a cult. <laughs> so this is not my forcing of your hand. This is my question is, if the Holy Spirit is prompting, if you sense a yes, if you sense the Lord saying that this is something for you to do, then my reply to you is just be obedient to God because there's no better obedience than obedience to God. Many people ask me how I got to where I got today with all the ridiculous things in my life that are going on. And the answer to that every single time is just saying yes to Jesus. Just say yes to God. If you're new here, don't feel pressure. Like I said, we're still gonna love you if you can't. We're not a cult. We love you and we wanna grow together. But if you feel the prompting of this, I encourage you, be obedient, not only for our sake, but for your sake as well, because you get to see the beauty of what God has for you in that. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in New York City. Not only through us, but through so many other churches, through so many other people. Lord, as we pray through the unique way that you have called us to serve this city and be missionaries in this city, I pray that you would also give us the grace and the strength and the courage to say yes that we would never let the dream that you have placed in our heart die. And that as it's been so difficult over the last two years, that we wouldn't forget why we do what we do. Because of the beautiful stories of redemption. Just like that man, that thief that hung on the cross next to you, that said, Jesus, I believe in you. And you said, I will see you in paradise with my father today that we would remember the redemption, the restoration that you have for all of our stories and all the stories of people to come. 
Help us to say yes, Jesus. And in your name we pray.